This is Review and Preview on The Wave, the sound of LIU. Good evening and welcome to Review and Preview, folks. I'm your host, Tom Scavetta, joined alongside Kyle Russo and a very special guest here joining us tonight, Alfonso DeFalco. Fonz? Now, you actually host your own podcast, the Slickback Kickback Report. That tell, is correct. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so we have new episodes drop every Wednesday and Saturday. Uh, basically, anything in the sports world, wrestling, gaming. It's kind of a laid-back, chill podcast with me and my good friend Albert Donor, which you know very well. That is correct. And uh, let me just say, though, that intro, the Triple H intro, love it. Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> Thank you very much, Fonz. Remember, you can listen to our show tonight on liuwave.org. You can follow us on our podcast, anchor.fm slash review and preview. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. And you can call in tonight with your questions, thoughts, comments, if you wish. Take part, take, uh, part in our live show. 516-299-2030 is the number. Okay, so the New York Mets... Currently a 33-35 and 35 record midway through June. We're officially at the midway portion of June. Now, last June, 2018, we know that the Mets were dreadful. They were 5-21 and 21 last year in June. Uh, they're now 5-6. and six. So they already have, they've matched their win total from last June, guys. Uh, and we asked the question to uh, one of our guests on the studio, oh, Fonz, earlier this <laughs> month. Was the key for the Mets this June to just survive? Yep. Right now, they're surviving. Yeah, pretty much. And, yeah, they're like you said, they are. And, yeah. Let's review the week that was for the Mets. Now, we left off last Friday night. The Mets were starting a series against the Colorado Rockies. The return of Daniel Murphy to City Field again. In this game, the Mets lost 5-1. to one. The Grom took the mound. It was a quality start although he ended up did getting the loss. He had 10 strikeouts in this game, but the only source of offense was a Michael Conforto home run. This seemed like an outing that he would have had last year. This was a typical 2018 game uh, and was very unfortunate. And this translated into Saturday. The Mets struggled early on in Game 2 of the series where Mets gave up two runs, six hits, like the Grom, pitched six innings, nearly identical stat line, but he also had 10 Ks. He had 10 strikeouts in this game. The Mets ended up winning 5-3, to three. and Peter Alonzo, man, 21st home run of the year, solo shot. He's Bullpen so shuts the door finally, but what are your thoughts on Alonzo Fons? I want to hear your take on this young rookie. I mean, he's, when he came in, though, I mean, like my friend Albert was saying, that he, like, was really excited to see him, and then I was like, oh, let's see what this guy's capable of and what he's doing so far like you said 21 home runs as a rookie I've just been he's amazing really he's really bringing like people are believing with the Mets now just because of him yeah I mean Afonso to, to add on to your uh, statement there Alonzo is keeping this team afloat right now and he kind of reminds me of what Judge brought to the Yankees a couple years back realistically you know he's that big bat he's going to get those home runs but what's impressive about Alonzo so far is his batting average and his swinging. Because usually when you see these bigger guys like Alonzo, when it came to Judge, Judge would always swing at the bad pitches. And that, that add up on swing a strikeout. Yeah. Yep, it would add up to his strikeout count. 
But when we look at Alonzo, it's it's not the same case scenario. He's batting about 260. He has a, a decent amount of strikeouts so far, 76. But, you know, it's a real bright spot in this Mets season, especially when you don't really know what the outcome is going to be when it comes around uh, July and uh, August. Mm-hmm. So very impressive right now for this young row. I would agree. Um, something to keep in mind, Fonz, you were actually at the game on Sunday. Yes, against the Colorado Rockies, yes. That's right. Uh, and the Mets, they won this game 6-1. to Syndergaard was fantastic. Mm-hmm. As usual. Do you think he's starting to get back on track? Because I know there was a time where he was struggling a little bit. Is the usual uh, Syndergaard seven innings, a run or two at worst? 100 pitches. 100 like pitches, yeah. seven, eight strikeouts. Is that is that what we're, what we're going to see the rest of the season? I mean, hopefully... I mean, I would definitely like to see that. I mean, like you said, on Sunday, you know, he really – he's starting to get back on track, so let's just hope that he can continue that. Yeah. Now, in this game, Frazier, Todd Frazier, who everybody's saying, you got to option him, that's it, he's done. New signs of life, a three-run home run in the first inning off of Hoffman. Four RBIs in this game for Frazier. How great – has he been since coming off the injured list? He's been he's brought a nice boost to the lineup since coming back, and which is what the team needed. Well, realistically, he's to me Todd Frazier's almost playing with a chip on his shoulder. I know that sounds kind of funny for a guy who's been around the uh, been around the league a few times. You know, he's been with the White Sox, he's been with the uh, the Yankees, he's been with these teams before. But this is a guy, like you said, Tom, who's almost realistically out of the league. I mean, if Jed Lowry wasn't hurt for the extent. Of time in which he did, Jed Lowry was going to come up and play third base. Todd Frazier was not going to have that starting role, but now Todd Frazier is taking advantage of that opportunity and he's and he's really showing that he can still play at a high level. This momentum translated into the Subway Series uh, that was supposed to have Game One commence on Monday. However, this game was uh, postponed due to weather. That resulted in a Tuesday day and night doubleheader at Yankee Stadium in Game One. The Mets lose the day cap. Uh, 12 to 5. Zach Wheeler was horrendous. Uh, the Jeff McNeil three run home run was really the only spark for the Mets offense this game, Fonz and Kyle. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's missing for Zach Wheeler right now? I, I mean, like you said, he has been, you know, been struggling. I just, I don't know. I think it's just probably just he needs to be consistent. I mean, maybe he's just, I think because with the bad streak he's going on, maybe he's just nerves on the pitch or on the mound excuse me I, I really don't know with him Fonz like you just said he's he's just such a shaky pitcher I mean you're either going to get like you're either going to get a 9k game you know he's going to pitch seven innings or he's going to be horrible like he was against this Yankees team he also gave up 10 hits in this game so it's just uh I mean you can't really expect so much from Zach Wheeler you really have to depend on your bats to really carry the game when he is the starting pitcher in order just... to win a game yeah, sorry to cut you off, but Wheeler's no, just good. one of those guys. Like, when I when you look at the games, like, oh, who's pitching tonight? And I see Wheeler, I'm like, oh, man, like, I don't know. Yeah, the bat's got to show up. I, I don't know yeah. what I'm going to expect with him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's definitely an excellent point there. Now, game two, the Mets turned things around. Similar vibe to game one, except the other way. 10-4, uh, to four, the Mets win. Jason Vargas, or Vargas, should we say? I'm all for it. I like it. <laughs> I do. Um, he's been great. I mean, this guy, another quality start against the Yankees, considering this game was in Yankee Stadium, 
six innings pitched, three runs, seven hits. His ERA is now well under four. And realistically, he's the second best pitcher in this rotation right now. Definitely can say that, yeah. That's crazy considering he only has 40 Ks on the season and has a 3-3 and record over the course of 11 games. Over his last seven starts, Kyle, his ERA is at 1.87. He's one of those guys I did not expect to, you know, be this good this far into the season. And that's now three straight quality starts for Jason Vargas. Now, Mickey Calloway made an interesting statement. He said, this was the guy we acquired. This was the pitcher that we brought in. Uh, I considered him a two-year (laughs) Band-Aid. That's typically what the Mets like to sign. Uh, All due respect to him and Todd Frazier. But Vargas, two years ago, was tied for the league in the American League and wins. With 18, yeah. Now, Funds, let's break this down a little bit here. What happened last year, and how has it resulted in this success this season where, quite frankly, you're used to seeing flamethrowers out there in this league now, not guys that throw 85, 90 miles an hour. Well, I think, you know, maybe partially, I mean, he is up there in age now. I'm not sure off the top of my head. He's in his 30s, I 35, believe. 35. Yeah, and then, you know, you go, you change teams. Uh, last year was his first year with the Mets, and maybe it's just a different league, too, a different league change. Maybe that could possibly be it. And then now I think his second year, full off season under his belt with the, the New York Mets. And I think that probably helped him. I would definitely say so. I think now in his second year, getting used to things a little bit, and Vargas is just doing his own thing. Remember, he's a lefty, so you know he does have, he has had success against lefties throughout the course of his career, as any lefty should. Now, uh, the Mets split the Subway Series, but in this game, the offense woke up. They scored ten runs. J.D. Davis, an opposite field Yankee Stadium home run, is incredible. Mm-hmm. Quite frankly, Kyle, Kyle Russo, as a, as a Yankee fan, I got to ask you, what were your thoughts on the Mets' offense in this game? An offense that you are notorious to seeing as dead. It was extremely impressive considering the pitcher they faced up against. You know, James Paxton at some points in the season has been one of the Yankees' best pitchers. And to completely annihilate him and only make him last not even a full three innings, I mean, that's pretty impressive. He, I believe he only played two and a half innings or something like that. Mm-hmm. He didn't even get to a third inning. So to do that against uh, a pitcher like James Paxton has been pretty impressive this season, you know, coming back from IL uh, for, for a Mets offense that, like you said, Tom, has been almost, I don't want to say dead, but not really fully with it consistently. It's very impressive. Yeah, Paxton got rocked in this game. Uh, you know, Alonzo hits a three-run bullet in the first inning. Again, typical Pete Alonzo yeah. classic, and I and I can't believe we're saying that this guy's a rookie. He hasn't even played half a season yet. He's twenty four years old. And Gary Apple even said the same thing, vintage Pete Alonzo. Like it's crazy how he has developed a strong presence and image in New York already, which is arguably the toughest place to play in any sport. You said it perfectly. I mean, it's hard to, you know make it work in the New York media and then in the market and Alonzo, I mean, not even like you said, a full year and he's already one of the more popular players in all of New York sports really. You can make the argument for that. Especially coming up with all the pressure of, you know, coming off a hundred RBI season mm-hmm. down in Triple A, on top of the fact that, you know, he was even when he came up, people were like, This guy's gonna be our main source of offense, you know, mm-hmm. besides splitting it with Robinson Cano. Mm-hmm. And he's just absolutely obliterating the ball almost every time he gets up at the plate. Yeah. And 
this guy, the only question is probably his defense because he did DH uh, for Dom Smith to play first, Yeah, which Dom Smith has been a guy the Mets have been desperately trying to get into the lineup as much as possible. I've noticed that too. Yeah, they're really trying to put him, like you said, in the, in the lineup. Now, Fonz, how tough is it for a guy who is a traditional bench player to keep his bat hot? Because quite frankly, Dom Smith has been doing it all year. He's hitting around 350, 360. It's just incredible what he's been able to do in these pinch hit situations, these spot starts, playing the outfield, playing first. No, yeah, it's, I mean it's hard to do that when you're not you know consistently getting out in the field and getting into like the the lineup. I mean maybe it's just you know he is a young guy and he's trying to maybe just show that all right I need to get in this lineup and show management that I can be a full time starter for this ball club. Yeah, I would agree. Carlos Gomez also hit a home run in this game. Another bench player for the Mets who has been platooning with Juan Lagares in center field right now. And then Lugo strikes out the side in the eighth inning. The bullpen was good. This leads to last night, where the Mets, they played against the St. Louis Cardinals. This was a game that was suspended due to rain and was finished today. Uh, the Mets ended up losing 5-4 to four in the 10th inning. But earlier in this game, well, last night, I should say, the two-day game, practically, uh, literally, in the third inning, Wilson Ramos's wife comes down to the on-deck circle and tells him that she is pregnant with their third child. Crazy. Like, that's a very strange spot to do it, you know? It really is. I just, When I saw that, I was like, interesting. That's, uh, I don't know what she was trying to do. That maybe motivate him or something, but congratulations. Yeah. I, I, yeah, congratulations. Yes, there's really <laughs> nothing else to say. One of the weirder things I've really seen at a game, too. Never, You never see that. Exactly. Um, this was a rough game because the Mets were up early. They were up 4-2 to two in the ninth inning. And the Grom was solid. But Edwin Diaz blows the save, gives up two runs, ruins a night where DeGrom becomes the eighth pitcher in Mets history to record 1,100 strikeouts. Wow. Yeah, and he yeah, he hasn't been here very well. I mean, he's been here for a while now, but it hasn't been more would, than, yeah. like, five, six years, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah, no, that, that just ruins uh, – like the blown save, you know, it takes away from what DeGrom was able to, to accomplish that night. Especially, you know, at the mm-hmm. ninth inning when the game was suspended. Like, that, you're so close to the end there. Yeah, so close. And then you just blow it. DeGrom had eight Ks. Now, the real thing is Edwin Diaz. Now, you start to question him. And is this just another prime example of a K-Rod at the back end of his tenure with the Mets? Like, what is going on right now? Is he still trying to find the groove? Is this the Edwin Diaz we're going to see, the guy who gives every Met fan a heart attack in the ninth inning? Well, well let me reiterate that statement to you, Tom, considering you guys and Alfonso. You guys are Met fans. I mean, tell me, is this is this nerve-wracking for you guys? Because you guys gave up a boatload to necessarily yeah. get this guy. You oh. know, people say they don't call it the Robinson Cano trade. They call it the Edwin Diaz trade. I mean, he yeah. was one of the best closers in baseball last year. And he still is a fantastic closer, but when he has these shaky, uh, I guess you would say must-win closeout games, I mean, you know, is it is it concerning? Because I remember he had one against the Giants, I believe, too, where he blew a save. And now you see one against the Cardinals as well. This is certainly one of his shortcomings lately because right now the Mariners are winning this trade. Look what Jay Bruce is doing out there. 19 dingers. I know his average is awful, but mm-hmm. – and you have Kalenic as well. Well, yeah, and – well. Most of those guys, like Jay Bruce, he he was traded to the Phillies. But 
And, and Swarzak was traded as well. But Very true, yeah. recently. Yeah, recently. But, no, I get what you're saying. Kalenic apparently is raking down in whatever, uh, I don't want to say minor league he is in right now. He's not in AAA, right? Not yet, no. no. You hurt me with K-Rod, by the way, when you said that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, you hurt me a little bit Uh-oh. there. Oh, Big K-Rod fan back in the day? Uh, I, I was hyped around him. And yeah. then, oh, man, that... I don't want to get into that one. Like, let's avoid closers that have had such previous substantial <laughs> success in the AL West. Yeah, that's a division that I don't know if you want to touch a young closer in the future. But look, it's still early. Let's give Diaz time. Uh, again, still playing in year. New York, it's much different than Seattle. I'll tell you that. Oh yeah. Um, now, Pete Alonso. Fun fact about him: he now has 15 home runs over 400 feet. That leads the MLB. Is this the best power hitter in baseball? Maybe. I think it's too early to say that. But. I mean, yeah, it is. I mean, you said it is, it is too early, but you can make the case for it. Yeah, he's definitely in the running right now. This is this is not me being a bag a bandwagon guy, but I mean, when you have Giancarlo Stanton and Aaron Judge, who have been out basically the entire season so far, and those are the, like two of the most strongest hitting guys in baseball, I don't want to give it to him, but he's. I mean, as of right now, yeah, yeah he is. He is. The Mets have a team have hit 93 home runs this season. That is actually 14th in baseball. They're in the middle of the pack. Last year, they were near rock bottom. It's an improvement. Yeah. Alonzo's carrying. Fun fact, Kyle Russo. Yep. Remember we were making fun of the Mets last year? They couldn't score runs in June. I think they scored maybe eight runs total in the first eight to nine games of June. Sounds about right. And the Mets now have hit a home run in each of their last 17 home games in, at City Field. How times are changing. Alonzo, he's got 22. Yeah. Key. Very key. And to have a bat like Jeff McNeil, a guy well, that can yeah. get on base in front of these power hitters, where that's something the Mets were uh, missing last season. I know they tried Nimmo. He would get walks. But he would also strike out a lot. And Ahmed Rosario, they've tried him too. He's... He's a good contact hitter, and he deserves a lot more credit than what the fans give him at just 23 years of age. Um, but McNeil has been fantastic. This guy is the third best average in baseball. Yeah. And to hit well above 300 this long into the season, that says something for a guy who just came up last year. Yeah. Uh, McNeil and Alonzo, potential future right Reyes effect, I, I'd say. They're very good friends. But now let's preview this weekend series against the St. Louis Cardinals. Right now the Mets are tied against the Cardinals 1-1. to Of course, after losing uh, the end of the suspended game that started last night, ended today, Stephen Matz on the mound for the Mets. Four innings through, 1-1 score. Matz has been hit or miss so far, but he's been sharp as of late. I'll give him that. He has looked pretty solid. Um, I'd say for the most part, maybe with the exception of a start or two. But and then for the Cardinals, you got Ponce de Leon. Try not to think of Saint Augustine, Florida. But <laughs> yeah, he has four walks through four innings, so not ideal. The Mets are getting on base in this game. I'll give them that. They're doing a pretty good job. Uh, yeah, man, they four of their uh, six on base guys have been walked. And Pete Alonso has two of them. So I guess they're worried about his power pitching around them a little bit. Um, and then Dom Smith is hitting cleanup. I'll never forget Francesca's rant last year when Dom Smith was placed in the cleanup hole with one RBI on the season. 
what was the rant? I don't even remember the rant. I on think it. it was it was in July or August when everybody was hurt, and they're talking about Dom Smith. You know, he's a big RBI guy. You want to yeah. put him clean up? He has one RBI. This guy's hitting a b- below two hundred on the season. You're hitting him clean up. Mm-hmm. This is a disgrace. But now, make Dom it up for Smith, it. Yeah, Dom Smith is hitting three forty nine right now. Jeff McNeil is hitting three thirty two. Crazy. And Todd Frazier is hitting two sixty. That's a lot more than what you'd expect from him. But uh, and then tomorrow you got Michael Waka against Thor, Noah Syndergaard, and then Sunday you got Dakota Hudson against Zach Wheeler. Hopefully Wheeler can get back on track. Uh, there is some bad news for the Mets, of course. Robinson Cano back on the IL with a quad injury. But is this actually bad news? That's, you know, that's... Um, I feel like they played better without him. Well, who's getting the start over him, realistically? Who's At getting second? the start over uh, over Robinson Cano right now? I believe it's, I want to say, J.D. Davis or Jeff McNeil. Probably, I think At it's second. Davis. Davis, yeah. I think. I don't want to say the wrong thing, but... No, I think you might be right with J.D. Davis. Well, yeah. Mc, Mc, McNeil is playing second. Oh, McNeil is playing second. McNeil is playing second, but J.D. Davis is the guy that's getting like time in the rotation. Uh, even though he's not playing tonight, it's Frazier at third. I mean, when Cano is healthy, McNeil plays in the outfield. Mm-hmm. That's just how it is. I think Frazier has third locked down, um, but we'll see what happens there. Uh, and then, of course, the injuries... Matt Kemp sidelined with rib pain in the minor leagues. If the Mets start to contend a little bit, this is a guy that can be a potential September call-up. He was good for the Dodgers last year. Yeah, I don't, I don't, know, how he, I don't league, know how he fell he out of the, the map. Yeah. Really good for them last year. Last thing I want to talk about the Mets, um, Chase Utley. Now, oh, there's, been, <laughs> there, there's been arguments on Twitter that Met fans should not hate this man that they should not hate him and they should appreciate his career. While we appreciate what he's done for the league, uh, he has clearly say, stated that he has hated the Mets on television. How do you expect us to like him and respect him for saying that? That's ex- You said that exactly. I mean, if he went on TV or whatever and said, you know, while we were ri- rivals, I've had great respect for the organization and for the city – be a different story, but if he flat out says, "Yeah, I hate the Mets and I hate everything about them," then it's not a one-way street. You got to have screw you. Yeah, exactly. Like we don't like Chase Utley. I mean, he broke Ruben Tejada's foot. Oh, it was his leg. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, man, that dirty slide. Look, a lot of people have said in the past, whether it's been Ryan Howard, whoever it has, that Chase Utley is one of their favorite locker room guys. Well, that's if you're in his locker room. You should still if have you play some, with if you play with yeah, Chase Utley. Respect for the opposing team. Yeah, you know, uh, Utley was a fantastic talent, a really good player for the Phillies for a very long yeah, time. No doubt about it. He yeah. was the face of that team, face of the franchise. But we'll see. And then, of course, Anthony Kay got promoted to AAA, so now he's one step closer. This is you know, if a starter goes down. If you trade a guy, possibly Zach Wheeler is going to be mentioned again. Vargas, if he continues to pitch like this, he might be in the mix. Now let me ask you, Anthony Kay, realistically, what he's been able to do in the minors as of now, is he a guy potentially, if the Mets are still in contention by about you know mid-August, you know even, even beginning of August, is he a guy that you call up to ensure yourself that you're able to win? Because like we've said, 
the pitching for the Mets hasn't necessarily been this strong suit like it was supposed to be. Right. You know, Noah Syndergaard has not been there, 4-4 four and four record. Jacob DeGrom, 3-6 and six record. Jason Vargas, like you said, Tom, has been your second-best pitcher in the lineup. Mm-hmm. Is Anthony Kay that guy that's going to start up, uh, spark this pitching and potentially could put the Mets over to potentially ensure themselves contention in a playoff run? I mean, you really don't know until you try. Well, exactly. yeah, realistically. Potentially lighting it up at Binghamton. And now he's up in Syracuse, so this should be very interesting. It really depends on if, like you said, if they're in contention, yeah. you know, come around August or whatever. If they're if they're not, then just keep them down there and have them develop more. And then next, next spring season, training, yeah. bring them in. But if they're in contention, bring the spark. Why not? You said down, Fonz. Technically, yes, down. But now they're up, yeah. they're up north in Syracuse. Yeah, so that's right. Yeah. Last year, I remember Chris Flexen had to take like four or five flights to get from City Field to Vegas and then back to City Field. It was horrendous, but. Now they're up in Syracuse, and that lot I think easier. it's translated into more guys that have come up from AAA. They are having success. But on that note, we're going to step aside for our first break of the evening, and when we come back, we will talk about those Bronx Bombers, the New York Yankees. You're listening to Review and Preview here on liuwave.org. Good evening, and welcome back to Review and Preview, folks. I am your host, Tom Scavetta. Join alongside Kyle Russo and Fonz DeFalco. We are going to transition to the Yankees now. Quick reminder, you can listen to our podcast and show tonight here on liuwave.org. Subscribe to us on anchor.fm slash review and preview. Want to call in? You can call us at 516-299-2030. Take part in our live show. The Yankees. The big brothers up in the Bronx, as some fans like to call them. Uh, they're 41-26, and 26, first place in the AL East. But they've had a bumpy week. They've been one of the worst teams in baseball this past week. They've lost six out of their last eight games. One of them to the Mets, need I mention. Um, (laughs) uh, The CC farewell tour in Cleveland did not go as planned. We'll get to that in this segment. But first, let's talk about the return, the much-anticipated return of basically a fan favorite in Didi Gregorius. This man was out for a full year, and now he's back. And in his first game back, he went two for four. A solid return, despite the Yankees losing five to two. Domingo Kerman has not had his best stuff lately. I think he's hurt. I think he's hurt. That's what people are saying. Well, isn't he back in the IL? Yeah, with his, I think he has a hip injury. Yeah, he has been very. Uh, he's been very shaky as of late. I think the nine and one start. It was a very small. Sample size of Domingo Germán. This was a guy that came in and kind of just out of nowhere started pitching well. Severino was hurt. CC was hurt. Hap was struggling. Paxton was struggling. And Germán was kind of the bright spot. Now he hasn't won a game in like almost a month. So it's definitely a little alarming there. Um, But yeah, in this game, Hicks hit a home run. He's been fantastic since he's been back. Now... The real question is, on Game 2, do you really start to get concerned in this series? Well, again, CeCe did not have a good outing. This was a five-inning outing, four runs, seven hits, and his farewell tour to his former town in Cleveland. Yankees lose 8-4. Luis Sessa was not good. Didi did hit his first home run, though. Yep. First home run of the season. And DJ LeMahieu continues to hit. He's been very consistent. He's been one of their best batters in the lineup besides Joe Urshela as of recent. But 
with this game, Tom, I mean, I don't know realistically if you could blame CC Sabathia. You know, he's older. He's an older pitcher. You got five innings at him. You know that's what you're going to get out of him. I mean, he's not going to pitch seven, eight innings. The problem with this Yankees team right now is their bullpen. And what I don't understand, continue to un- don't understand, is Aaron Boone continuously goes back to these guys like Jonathan Tarpley, like Jonathan Holden, like Luis Sessa, like Chad Green consistently really giving him more it. chances who are just have not shown any sign of potential or hope to close out a game. I mean, Luis Sessa, yeah, CC gave up four runs. But Luis, uh, Jonathan Holder, I mean, in one inning, gave up three runs. And then Luis Sessa came in for the last two innings and gave up a run himself. And then the game was over. I mean, the bullpen has just been their worst aspect of their game right now. Because the batting is there. The batting is there. It might not contribute to runs, but they're getting on base. It's, it's more the pitching and the closing out of the game rather than the batting itself. And speaking of the bullpen, guys, the bullpen was called upon to start Game 3. Chad Green got the start. The Yankees were able to salvage Game 3 somehow in this series, 7-6, thanks to a go-ahead double by Aaron Hicks. It took him till the 10th inning against Cleveland, a team that's not even first in their division. Chapman did get his first win of the season, and Voight had a couple of hits. But the real question is, Fonz, Aaron Hicks on the Yankees making his return. His impact has been fantastic since he's been back. Everyday center fielder before that injury. Yeah, no, I'm, I mean, you coming back from injury, I mean, the Yankees have had their fair share of injuries this year, and it's nice to see a guy like Hicks come back and give him a nice boost until they wait for, you know, the other guys like Judge and Stanton to finally come into the lineup. So it's a good start for him to, to be back with the Yankees. Four home runs, 16 RBIs, He's only hitting 217, but he was ice cold at the start. So the fact that he's back over 200 is good. This leads to the Subway Series. The Yankees limp into the Subway Series, losing five of their last six. And again, as we spoke about in the last segment, the Yankees won 12-5, but Tanaka did not pitch very well despite going six and two-thirds. Sanchez hit his 20th dinger, had three RBIs, or Shella had three hits including a home run. Kyle, Gio Urshela is the second-rated third baseman in the American League right now. He's been fantastic. He's just been fantastic, and especially, you know, because of the fact that this isn't their starting third baseman. You know, their starting third baseman is Miguel Andujar, and for him to come in not only participate offensively better than Andujar, but on a level of defense, too, and play better than Andujar as well. Now, so, yeah, go ahead. No, well, that, that's all good. Yeah, so um, now we got to really talk about what happened in Game 2 of the su- the Subway Series, the shortened Subway Series. Yeah. Uh, Paxton was awful. Only pitched two and two-thirds, six runs, seven hits. His ERA is back up to over four. Uh, despite Gardy hitting a home run, there wasn't much offense in this game for the Yankees, and the Mets really gave it to them. Now, Fonz, my question to you is this. Do you like this, that the Subway Series, they're no longer three games long? I feel like it somewhat takes away from the rivalry a little bit, where this is a, this was a Subway Series that people will easily forget. Yeah, I mean, there's only two games, and it used to be three. And you look at all sports, like with the NBA best of seven, or even in the MLB playoffs, you always want to have the odd amount of games. So at the end of the day, you'd be like, oh, the Yankees won the Subway Series 2-1, to one, or Mets 2-1. to one. So, yeah, I think they should bring it back to 
three games to get that nice, like a mini playoff series of like the best of three. I would definitely agree with that. Because saying, oh, we tied the series 1-1, it's like, oh, all right. So, yeah, it, I can agree that it would probably be one of the more forgettable Subway series. Now, this Subway series, the Yankees went on to travel to Chicago to face against the White Sox. Yankees lose to the White Sox 5-4 to four after leading 4 nothing in this game. Uh, Hap let up four runs in the fifth inning, leading to his exit. How big of a problem is the starting pitching, though? It's really... I mean, you're just looking at it from Tanaka to CeCe to Hap uh, and then Paxton in the Subway Series and Severino's hurt. It's been horrendous. I was extremely surprised when Brian Cashman didn't pull the trigger on Dallas Keuchel. It looked like it was all lined up for Dallas Keuchel to become a New York Yankee, even though he would have to shave the beard, the notorious beard. Didn't you guarantee it? I well, Listen, I'm, <laughs> uh, my guarantees don't always pan out. Listen, but, man. <laughs> re- but realistically, I don't understand on that standpoint why you wouldn't sign that guy to just at least spark the pitching a little bit. Because the pitching is not, like I've said, it, not only from the bullpen, but from starting as well. It hasn't been there. Like J.A. Happ, you can't rely on him. In this game, two strikeouts. Two strike against the Chicago White Sox. Uh, a team that realistically, besides Tim Anderson, you know, Jose Abreu, you're not going to get any offense out of that team. James yeah. McCann. James maybe. McCann, yeah. Otherwise, you're really not going to get any offensive production out of this team. And against a, a pitcher who hasn't pitched as well as well in the pitching matchup, you know, to lose to that guy as well. Uh, Marshall, I believe. It's just been very, very depressing and upsetting considering the fact that the bat, again, the batting is there. You know, with all these injuries to the infielders, to the outfielders, to everybody, 20 injuries so far this yeah, season. It's a tying, lot. Tying 2018. It's not, the, it's not the hitting. It's the pitching. And that's still a consistent problem with this Yankees team, carrying over from last year and the previous year prior. Look at the bright side. Clint Frazier got three hits in this game. They lost. (laughs) My argument is this. Signing Dallas Keuchel, it would have been no risk because you wouldn't have had to give anything up for him. Yep. Now, to get Bumgarner or to acquire somebody of that nature at the deadline, a Marcus Stroman possibly from Toronto— who the Yankees see quite often, by the way, mm-hmm. you'd be giving up assets for it. And that's the problem that you had last year when the Yankees went after Hap. Because they, yeah, because they, they wanted gave to up assets. Billy McKinney. Drury. Drury. It wasn't a smart move. A lot of those guys are gone. And it's kind of like what you saw last year. The Cardinals didn't know what to do with Luke Voigt, a St. Louis born, bred, and raised guy, and they moved him to the Yankees. And look what he's been able to do. May the force be with Luke. Mm-hmm. Man, he matches so well. When they, when the Yankees, when the PA announcer starts doing the starting lineups, they yeah. do the Star Wars theme song. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> Luke Voigt. Um, but yeah, no, he's been uh, he's been fantastic. The real concern, though, is the starting pitching and the injuries. It's not just in Duhar, Judge, and Stanton. It's also these pitchers, man. The bullpen, uh, Dylan Batances, Ben Heller, Montgomery, who was pretty decent for a while. Greg Bird on the IL as well. And then Severino, Tulowitzki, and Morales, two veterans you brought in for utility. They're both on the IL. Kyle Russo, this team has spent tw- has sent 20 players to the injured list this season. That matches their 2018 total already, two and a half months into the season. 
I feel like I'm reading a depth chart every time I go through their injured list every week. And it would, and again, I'm going to repeat it. I've said it many times on this show in the past. And somehow, they are still number one in their division. Uh, you know, with the Rays performing the way they are in Boston, you know, reigning World Series it's champs. Crazy. Don't understand it, but they're doing it. Give them credit for that, though, with all the injuries. Oh yeah, without being a doubt, able to do that. It. You could only imagine what they're going to be when they all come back, or at least half of them. Yeah, and this is what a lot of people were saying last year. When these guys get healthy, when Stanton was out, the Yankees were still playing well early on in the season. But you can't have a night like tonight. CC Sabathia goes out there off a bad start and gives up four runs in the first inning to the White Sox like he just did. Yankees lost six out of their last eight. Excuse me. Seven out of their last nine. Wow. And they're down 4-1 to one at the end of the first. This is not good. Uh, Luis Giolito is on the mound tonight. Tomorrow, I don't know if any pitcher has been announced for the Yankees tomorrow, but he'll go up against whoever that is, Reynaldo Lopez. And then on Sunday, you got Tanaka against... I don't even want to take a crack at that name. <laughs> Odrisimer? Uh, Odrisimer, yes. Just, shot in the dark there. I think I got it. <laughs> <laughs> Bullseye. All right. So the all-star voting is in, though. Luke Voigt leads at first base, surprisingly. And Gary Sanchez has the largest lead at any position after the first round of voting. This was a guy at the beginning of the season. He wasn't really giving much effort defensively. He's sometimes a liability. He struggled last year, but his bat is like gold right now. He, I mean, he he can't miss. He's been fantastic. It's night and day since like this time last year. Whenever like you know he was like just jogging yeah. for the ball. Or... Last year he was struggling to get above two hundred for the longest time. Granted, he had a lot of injuries last year, but still, you know, to raise it up to two sixty, I believe, with twenty home runs to start off the season. Yeah, only two months in, very impressive. It's uh, it's definitely an interesting point to make. And also, you got to have recognition for what Gio Urshela has been able to do. The only third baseman ranked above him in the all-star voting is Alex Bregman. And you think the American League, you know, you think of all these big-name third basemen, but Gio Urshela is number two. He deserves it. Bregman is a great player, but Gio Urshela, no knock upon him. He's been, he's earned even consideration, even with all the great third basemen in the American League, in all of baseball. This guy has 54 hits already, 30 RBIs, not to mention, which he's fourth on the Yankees in hits, only behind Voight, Glaber, and LeMahieu, and Clint Frazier. Those have been their core five players. Those five, Frazier, Urshela, LeMahieu, Torres, and uh, Voight. And then, of course, Gary Sanchez, six, I should say. But we'll see what happens when... We get closer towards the playoffs. Right now, the Yankees are struggling. Let's see if they can get out of this hole. They're calling back for Judge and Stanton. They're sooner rather than later. That's the current status quo on them. But for now, we're going to step aside for another quick break. And when we come back, we will hit up some MLB news. You're listening to Review and Preview here on The Wave, the sound of LIU. Good evening, and welcome back to Review and Preview, folks. I'm your host, Tom Scavetta, joined alongside Kyle Russo and Fonz DeFalco joining us here tonight as our guest here in the studio. Quick reminder, you can join us tonight. Want to comment on our Facebook live stream? You can. We are broadcasting on liuwave.org. 
So the big news this week, guys, David Ortiz was shot and wounded in the Dominican Republic. The, the bullet went through and through him. He had two surgeries, one in, one in the DR, and then when he came back up to Boston, he had another one there. He took his first steps on Wednesday, 43 years old, a 20-year career that ranged from 1997 to 2016. And this guy hit around 290 his whole career, almost 2,500 hits, 540 home runs, about 1,800 RBIs, and we wish him nothing but the best. This was, I don't care what fan you are, this was almost tragic. Yeah, it's, it was horrible to hear that, but you know, glad that he's making progress to, to get better, and again, we wish him the best. Of course, it was crazy to even hear the, the graphicness of this. Uh, some reports were saying not only it, it went through and through, but the person that he was sitting across from, it it hit the other guy in the kneecap. That's how through it went. And it apparently it went through some of Ortiz's intestines, part of his stomach, part of his liver they had to remove. Incredible to hear that he's even, you know, walking as soon as he is. But, you know, got to be blessed and grateful. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah, I think quick work and luck is what saved him, to be honest. I think he got very lucky. Uh, it was a point-blank gunshot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you watch the video, he was like two feet away from him. It pierced the right side of his back. I mean, I think what saved him is that he's a big dude. Yeah, that's probably yeah. what saved him. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, that's a shame, but we wish him the best and that he's okay. One of baseball's finest for a very long time. Yesterday, last night, Otani became the first Japanese-born player in MLB history to hit for the cycle. Now... This was insane. This guy has been a staple for this league for the past year and a half now. And now he's just focusing on the hitting portion of this game. What does Shohei Otani bring to the table that other players don't, Fonz? I mean, the, the the power hitting. I mean, he had so much hype coming into free agency. And, they, you know, he wanted to do both pitching and hitting. And that's fine and all. But at the end of the day, if, if he was better as a hitter right now. And this is what the Angels need. You know, could he pitch again down the line? I know coming back from a from the injury, he really can't pitch, but maybe he'll pitch again. But I think right now the Angels are going to stick with him. Stick with him, excuse me, in the lineup as a hitter. Yeah, I remember remember the comparisons before he officially became an MLB player. The comparisons were Babe Ruth, and I I know that's extremely high expectations, but those are the comparisons compared to his Jap- uh, numbers batting in Japan, yeah. which is unbelievable to 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 be recognized as that guy coming into the league, but. Incredible accomplishment to hit the cycle it has nothing to do, uh, just just historic overall for, you know, obviously being the first-born Japanese player to accomplish this, but just a player in general of the MLB to accomplish this is incredible. You know, and only in his second year as a major league player. Insane. Blessing my fantasy team, by the way. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> he's been a great player, and now that he's focusing on just hitting, I think this will be a lot better for him. I really do. Uh, you know, he he has potential all-star potential maybe not this year but in years to come oh definitely yeah he's only in his second year so i mean the future is really bright for him i would say so and he's had a great week too three homers 10 rbis he's hit three homers this week which is amazing i really think that having him with mike trout and that new david fletcher kid who's basically a utility player for them 
they could be on the rise in a couple of years, but now you're just concerned that Mike Trout is just wasting his years playing losing baseball. I mean, it's sad to say, but, I mean, to have a bat like Otani, who has eight home runs already in just 120 at-bats, that goes to show how dynamic this man really is hitting that bat. And if the Angels need it, uh, he can come in and pitch for an inning or two. Exactly. You know, if yeah, they if the bullpen. if they're that desperate, twenty inning game. You know, something us Met fans are used to. Yeah, doesn't <laughs> hurt. <laughs> um, big news in the American League as well. Justin Verlander, fifteen strikeouts last night in seven innings pitched against the Brew Crew, to set a career high in strikeouts in a single game for him. Great performance by Justin Verlander, a player who is probably going to start for the American League in the All-Star game. Most and, likely, yeah. Yeah. And Kate Upton, who just had another birthday, actually. Now she's 27. And Ver, Verlander, I think he's, I want to say he's 33, 34. Uh, but Verlander, in a year where pitching has struggled, he has been one of the very few bright spots in this league. He's always been a consistent starting pitcher in the league, and it's continuing again this year. Yeah, Kyle, now... Oh, he's actually 36 now. I didn't realize that. Yeah, he's older. Yeah. Yeah. Big build, 6'5", and he he really throws bullets. It's re- very difficult to figure him out. I think what's made him so unique was that he doesn't fatigue, and he can go the distance, and he's one of those pitchers that knows how to get out of trouble. You know, that's what separates the good pitchers from the great ones when, for example, if you load the bases up with nobody out and you still find a way to get out of the inning scoreless by striking out the side. I mean, it's just things yeah. like that that I think would set. That's the reason why he's a seven-time All-Star. Fantastic player. He won the CY Young back in 2011. World Series champion in 2017. And the Astros are primed to make another run this year. They really are. I think they have the pieces, George Springer, Alex Bregman. I don't know what Altuve's status is. Is he back yet for them? I think he's back, but I don't think he's necessarily hitting at that same high level like he was because Altuve is a guy who sticks around that 300 level. Yeah. I don't think he's at that right now. I think he's in the 260s, 270s, but still. That that all-around team, that team is fantastic, and especially when Correa comes back because I know he – I believe he is on the IL as well. Mm-hmm. Four to six weeks with um, – I forgot the injury, but, you know, when this, when this team is full and healthy, it's a stacked team, no doubt about it. I would say so. The other big news this week, you guys are going to laugh at this one. Remember Chris Paddock from the Padres bashing Pete Alonso for winning Rookie of the Month? They had oh, some yeah, yeah. At Petco. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, what it used to be called. Uh, he got optioned to single A. What? Yeah. Was it? Didn't he have, like, one of the best ERAs in baseball? Yeah, he's gone. Why? Why, why would say Did they say anything about why, or is it just... Yeah, he Just poor pitching. I mean, he's been yeah, I mean, awful. He has... And realistically, if you ask me why, I don't think it had anything to do with his stats. I think it was more so that maybe the team can manage his innings a little bit. But single A, I don't know how much sense that makes. Because he was he was one of the best pitchers in baseball. I think what it, was his stats after uh, his beef with Alonzo? Not very good. Yeah, that, that's ERA is what... lurking around four or five, so... Oh, okay. Because when yeah. he was starting off the season, he had a few games. He was in the one thirties, one fifty range. Well, his record is four and four this year. Uh, Three point one five earned run average in twelve games started, which is not terrible for a rookie. But 
just considering the start that he had and his innings are up there. He's over 65 innings already on the season. Speaking of pitchers, Craig Kimbrell, of course, we discussed last week. He signed with the Chicago Cubs and then Dallas Keuchel to the Atlanta Braves. Now, what are our thoughts on these transactions? We talked about Keuchel with the Yankees segment, but Craig Kimbrell, a guy who, fantastic regular season reliever, struggles a bit in the playoffs, but to add him where he could potentially be a closer in that Chicago bullpen to that magnitude, how much does that lift them over the top come playoff time, and what can Kimbrell bring to this uh, bullpen? I mean, like you said, I mean, he's very good in the regular season, struggles a little bit in the playoffs, but the Cubs are one of the favorites right now, would you say, to, to be in the World Series pitcher down the line? I mean, adding another well, another star like Kimbrell, it helps them out a lot. Kyle, now, you're not a fan of Craig Kimbrell. I don't like his pitching <laughs> stance. That's that's about it. It's just weird. It's a it's a weird pitching for him. But he's one of the statistically he's one of the best pitchers to ever grace a, pitch, a pitching mound. So, I mean, and, and Chicago also got him for kind of a bargain. I, I think it was like three years, fifty two. Yeah, not that. bad at all. Well, so that's not what he bad. wanted. And they were one of the few teams that really only one of the few teams that needed a closer. Yeah. And I think part of it, too, is that sometimes he had mental breakdowns earlier on in his career where doing this, as silly as it looks, actually calms him down. Oh, really? It helps him focus. Yeah. No. Whatever works. You do you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the week in review. So we spoke about last night. We'll start uh, with Monday. Josh Donaldson, the uh, almost brawl that happened with Joe Musgrove from the Pittsburgh Pirates. Josh Donaldson has always been a hothead, appealing a one-game suspension, and this is just not smart. Your team is in first place in the division. You're on a seven-game winning streak now in Atlanta. And to just let the emotions get the best of you, you know, it's kind of like Draymond for Golden State sometimes. Uh, (laughs) I don't know what Donaldson was thinking. Now, I understand he spent most of his career with the Toronto Blue Jays, but when you're a candidate for the All-Star game, 33 years old, you need to be a veteran presence out there, and he just wasn't. They And the Braves need more production for him. Yep. This cleared the benches for no reason. It stopped the game, and it just doesn't look good for Atlanta. It's a bad look, especially with the Braves. They have a lot of young talent on the roster, too, and a lot of the guys probably look up to Donaldson, and then when they see that, they just look at it. It's like... Yeah, Albies, sure. Swanson. Yeah. Yeah. Kuna Jr., yeah. No, completely right. It's not a good look. What gets a little more concerning is that Tuesday, the Phillies just, they're continuing to hit, although they lost the game to the Diamondbacks. An MLB record 13 home runs were hit in this game Tuesday between the Phillies and the Diamondbacks. Jay Bruce hit his 19th dinger of the season, and Scott Kingery has been sensational. This young third baseman for Philadelphia, he has been fantastic. Just coming out of nowhere to add to a Phillies team with Adubel Herrera, Reese Hoskins, those young guys, Bryce Harper, of course. This Phillies team is young, and they're good. Yeah. They're really good. They're they're scary. I know they're in second right now, but they're a very scary team come playoff time. And but like you said, they're yeah. young, so, I mean, they, they have a lot of room to grow. They still have, they still have Bryce Harper on the team. They so. do, which – that could pose a problem to them as well in the playoffs because Bryce Harper has a very poor track record in the playoffs. Yeah. 
And you're looking at Bryce Harper this season. He's hitting 250. He's hitting 250, five-tool player. We know how good he can be, but he's only been he's only been okay this year. And last year his average was horrible too. I mean, he's closing in on 200 home runs already throughout his career at age 26, but I don't know what it is with these athletes that are really good on the field and like they just have these bad attitudes like in MLB we see with Bryce Harper we just talked about Josh Donaldson and it carries with them through their whole career and they just can't win well because they know with their talent after they get paid it doesn't matter from that point out all that matters is winning you know whatever path that takes down it doesn't necessarily change the personality of the attitude as long as you're winning and that's what this Philadelphia team is doing you know they just keep on adding and adding and becoming a stacked team you know, you see guys like Cesar Hernandez coming up as a second baseman. They had guys like JT Real Muto, Bryce Harper, all these other guys. They re-sign Aaron Nola, who's in contention for the Cy Young. You know, once these guys get paid, they necessarily don't care about the personality. You know, some guys are humble. That's definitely a, that's a fact. I'm not uh, discriminating all athletes who get paid. But when some guys get paid, it doesn't matter at that point. It only matters about winning, not necessarily the locker room or the personality trait. The third team the Mets are competing with, in the NL East, the Washington Nationals. They lost uh, on Tuesday to the Chicago White Sox. But the reason why we're bringing this game up, they lost 7-5, to but Eloy Jimenez hit a 462-foot home run in this game. And he has, he has been great ever since being called up to the MLB. He's a young player for the White Sox, a building team, but... More importantly, the Nationals, you know, a team that's been mediocre for a year or two now. I don't see it going anywhere. The post-Bryce Harper era does not look good. I mean, the only really bright spot is the top trio in their rotation, which hasn't been great this year. Scherzer, Strasburg. And Corbin. Patrick Corbin. Look, Scherzer's on the the mound tonight, and they're up 5-2 against the D-backs, but six games under 500. You're worse than the Mets right now. The Mets are playing outplaying you. That's saying something. <laughs> but the Mets have had their good share of good moments this year. But uh, these Nationals, I don't see them going anywhere for a while now. It's 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 a team that, besides Rendon, Trey Turner, Trey Turner. I mean, it's just not. Yeah, it's not what it used to be. Well, yeah. it's going to hurt them a lot too. That all their money is in pitching as well. They're mm-hmm. paying so much money to that trio of pitchers. That's true. Let's talk about a team that flies under the radar a little bit. Now, the Minnesota Twins, we've spoken about them in the past. They still hold the best record in in the MLB. 45-22 and is their record. And an 11-game lead over the second-place Indians. That's the largest lead of any division in baseball. And what's really carried them is their home runs. They have a MLB-best 132 home runs through 67 games this season and they're tracking down your Yankees 267 last season Minnesota Twins have been great and these are young guys we were talking about Polanco before the show yeah great CJ Crone Max Kepler fantastic guys and they're young and they're good um you know it'll be really interesting to see what comes around playoff time because they're a team that you talk about young guys sometimes those teams that are really good in the regular season, they'll get a one or two seed in the playoffs. They flop, you know. 
especially when you have other teams beating beating each other up. Like you can't even count Boston out of this playoff picture at 36 and 34, third place in the East. They're still well within reach for this wild card. They're only six and a half games. Uh, I'm sorry, they're six and a half games back of the division, but just a game back of the second wild card spot. You yeah. know, they're a team that's definitely on the rise. Um, but yeah, and then you look at Seattle, bottom of the West. Really, the only team that's not competing, Baltimore, Ugh. Yeah. Toronto. Gosh. And then the Dodgers, a team in the National League that's been doing fantastic. Seager is now down, missing four to six weeks. Kyle Russo, what's been going on with the Dodgers at West this year? They just continue to continue to hit. It, it seems like almost every day Cody Bellinger you know, wins the game for them. Max Muncy wins the game for them. It, it necessarily hasn't been the pitching. Justin Turner. Justin Turner. <laughs> I mean, but, yeah, you brought up Corey Seager, and this – I feel bad for this guy. I really do because he ultimately he almost got replaced last season because he, he went down. He did. He went yeah. down for the entire season, and I forgot who exactly replaced him. I can't remember who replaced him at shortstop, but this guy keeps on getting hurt. This guy at one point was one of the best players in baseball. Yeah, Very and he true. continuously gets hurt. And so, you know, just on that note, it's it's not a good look. Not a good not not in that sense. Not a good look. But the fact that this guy is continuously getting hurt when he could really help. This Dodgers team potentially, they already lead their conference, but potentially push them over the edge even more. Would you say them or the Braves are the hottest team in baseball right now? I got to go Atlanta. They've won eight out of their last ten, seven-game win streak, and they're a really young team, you know? Yeah. I would have to go to Atlanta just based on the fact that they are not the experienced team, more like the Dodgers who have been in the World Series the past two years. Right. Well, you know, they've been this, done this, done this before. You know, get through the regular season, go to the playoffs. That's what they're expected to do. But for this young Atlanta team to be on a seven-game win streak, I believe, right now, is is incredible. With these young guys really carrying. And then the Dodgers, of course. I mean, you got Kershaw, Rich Hill is back, and you got Ryu, who, who has been great, arguably the best pitcher in baseball right now. Is he still the best? We're going to have this debate every week. Is it him? Yeah. He or is. is it Charlie Morton? Oh, oh. Oh, well, based on statistics or actual. Pitching skill this season. Well, Ryu's got a nine and one record, I believe, and a one point three or I want to say somewhere around that. One point three six. Charlie yeah. Morton is eight and zero, oh, two point ten in the American League, though. And you said he has not lost the game since like May or June of last May, June the last of calendar year. Yeah, that's very impressive. It's no. very impressive. Yeah, James went Morton with me last week, but uh, we'll see what happens there. Now let's get to our. Uh, MLB player of the week so of course the best player of this past week we're gonna go around the horn here and Kyle Russo you are first my player of the week helping push this seven win streak for the Atlanta Braves Ozzie Albies he's been fantastic three home runs a total of about six or seven RBIs his batting average at this point in the season is around 270 but also just contributing to this young team's success. Ozzy Alves, my player of the week. Good choice. He's also on my fantasy team. I, I know. And we are I, playing each other this week. It's it's hurting. Just so you know. Fonz? Well, I'm going to go with the right fielder for the Colorado Rockies, Charlie Blackman. You know, six games this week, uh, 440 uh, average with 10 RBIs, four home runs, and I will say a fantastic beard. Just to throw that out there, yes. too. So <laughs> I got to say that, too. But, no, he's... 
been very good for the the Rockies this week. A great pick. Mine is going to be Cole Hamels from the Cubs. Why are the Cubs in such great contention right now? It's they have good starting pitching. They do. They're only a game back of the Brewers. Cole Hamels two and zero this week. No ERA. Leads the MLB with 19 strikeouts. Therefore, he's my MLB Player of the Week. On that note, we're going to step aside for a quick break, and when we come back, we will have our Team of the Week and quickly recap the Stanley Cup Finals. You're listening to Review and Preview here on liuwave.org. Welcome back to Review and Preview, folks. I am your host, Tom Scavetta. Joined alongside Kyle Russo and Fonz DeFalco here in the studio. Guys, it is that time for our Team of the week. Fonz, we're going to start with you here. Well, you know, obviously for me, you know, being a big basketball fan, I think my team of the week is the Toronto Raptors, who, if you're not aware, last night won their first ever NBA Finals trophy with Kawhi Leonard being the named the Finals MVP. And then you're seeing guys like Kyle Lowry, Pascal Seacom helping them win here. And, you know, I got to say Fred Van Vliet, who's been very good for them too. So I the Toronto Raptors are my team of the week, winning their first finals trophy. Good pick. Kyle Russo, you are next. The St. Louis Blues coming into the new year with the worst record in the NHL, pulling off a true miracle and winning the Stanley Cup in the seven games against a very experienced and talented Boston Bruins team. Team of the week. Thank you for taking my pick. <laughs> That's the third week in a row my pick has been taken. Um... <laughs> I'm going to go USA Women's Soccer. They won 13 nothing against Thailand. And this was a game where, yeah, Kyle, <laughs> I am going with them. Alex Morgan scored five goals for Team USA. And USA, they have scored more goals in one World Cup game than 20 countries have ever scored in a World Cup. Very Yikes. impressive win for them. <laughs> Yikes. Uh, yeah, and they only need one more win to advance, to guarantee themselves to advance to those knockout stages. So, let's get to some hockey. We will review the Stanley Cup Final Game 6. It was down in St. Louis. The Bruins won this game 5-1 to one to nod the series up at three games apiece. Those veterans were there. David Posternock and Brad Marchand had a goal and an assist each. Tuka Rask with 28 saves. Game 7, Craig Bennington, Jordan Bennington, excuse me, in the first period made four or five really remarkable saves in this Game 7. It kind of set the tone for the game, Kyle. Yep, without a doubt. And just to add on to this, Jordan Bennington has been, he's the reason why they won the Stanley Cup single-handedly. Yes, you have the offensive production out of Ryan O'Reilly, you know, the big trade from the Buffalo Sabres, and then you have this miracle of a run. But where the to- where the tables turned is when midway through the season, when Jordan Bennington became a starting goalie, and he absolutely took over yeah. for this team. And, it, and it's truly, truly incredible what was able to be accomplished. Let's talk about Bennington for a minute. He started off on the depth chart as the fourth-string goalie this season. Yep. January 2nd, 2019, St. Louis is last place in the entire NHL. And they start Bennington just to give them the opportunity. 
This was a guy who was assigned to the AHL. He was drafted in the third round, 2011 draft, just 25 years old. Given the chance, because the Blues were in last place, and all of a sudden, just out of nowhere, he starts some really good goaltending and earns himself the starting role. St. Louis starts playing better, sneaks their way into the playoffs. What were they, the seventh seed out of eight, I believe? Something like that. Man. What a series. Game seven. I mean, I thought he should have won the Con Smith over Ryan O'Reilly. Yeah. The mm-hmm. Con Smythe trophy. Yeah. Uh, the award. But, man. Yeah. Ryan O'Reilly acquired from the Buffalo Sabres. This was a guy coming in who did not have much success throughout his career. He set a Blues record 23 points this postseason. Yeah. And even up until, even up until about game three, he really wasn't as relevant offensively he had a few assists here and there but when he really started to heat up was in game three scored two goals against boston then consecutively till game seven scored a goal in each one of those games combined with assists so definitely well deserved for the con Smythe, but a incredible story incredible quick reminder guys we are broadcasting our show here tonight on liuwave.org this is review and preview we are talking stanley cup finals now, O'Reilly in this game, seven, he had scored a goal in the previous three games, getting on the board quickly in game seven, and he becomes, realistically, the first player to score in games four through seven of a Stanley Cup final in all of those games. That's crazy. But let's give credit where credit is due, guys. Boston wasn't bad. They just couldn't solve this goalie, Bennington. And Fonz, you know, Boston's a fantastic sports town. They yeah. they win. Winning culture up there. Yeah. Um, but realistically, 52-season drought for the Stanley Cup that ends for St. Louis. That yeah. was the longest in NHL history. And fun fact, now you look at the longest remaining droughts in sports. It's the Cleveland Indians at 71 years. Wow. The Arizona Cardinals have the longest at 72 Back when they, they were St. Yeah. Louis. Yeah. <laughs> and they were one of the worst franchises. One of the first franchises. Yeah, they never even they haven't won. No. It's, I mean, it is good for a city like St. Louis, you know, like say like the Rams when they left, you know, and they really only had the Cardinals and the Blues. And to see them, you know, finally win Stanley Cup or any championship, it's you sort of feel for the city of St. Louis. Yeah. It's great to see, for sure. And then, of course... Michael Dawes, Sacramento Kings, 68 years. Uh, One day, Dawes. One day. One day for the Kings. One day. I'm rooting for him. Yes. The Aaron Fox, Willie Cauley-Stein, they have uh, Buddy Heel. They have some young guns on that team. But the Blues were 10-3 on the road this playoff. That was the most road wins in any NHL playoff ever. A St. Louis better... On January 3rd, a day after having the worst record in hockey, to pick the Blues to win the Cup, he put down 400 bucks. Why not, right? Now how he ended much? up winning 100 k Wow. That... Thanks to the Blues winning Game 7. Well, good for him. That was a big risk he made, and yes. <laughs> it paid off. Smart man. Last note here on this Stanley Cup. Uh, Nine million people tuned into Game 7. That was the most watched hockey game in NFL history, uh, NHL history. Whoa, wrong sport. (laughs) Everybody wants to see history, and that's what they they saw. You say Game 7, 
people will watch it. Game yeah. seven, 52 year drought, first chance for a Stanley Cup for the organization. To see them beat Boston of yep. all cities, too. Yep. Yeah. People will watch it. That's crazy. I would say so. Great series. Great year of hockey, too. A lot of upsets in these playoffs, Kyle. Yeah. A lot of upsets in this playoffs. You know, Dallas had a nice run. Dallas had a nice run. You know, uh, the Sharks in round one when they wound up having that miraculous comeback against Vegas in game seven. You know, the Islanders, the way they swept Pittsburgh and then got demolished in the second round. But the no, Hurricanes. Yeah, by the Hurricanes. No, but Pittsburgh in the first round, they got yeah. swept them and then got swept by the Hurricanes. But it was definitely a very, very exciting and uh, kind of fun because nobody could have predicted this. You know, even Boston. Boston wasn't a favorite in the East. It, it was the Capitals to repeat or, of course, the Pittsburgh Penguins. But for Boston to be Tampa back Bay. in it, Tampa Bay, you know, 128-point season. They didn't win a single game. In they the didn't playoffs. win a single game. They were the best team in hockey by, like, Miles. 15 points yep. at least. So yeah. Couldn't win a game in the playoffs. But let's uh, we're going to take another quick break, and then we come back. We're going to talk some NBA Finals, and, oh, boy, we have a lot to discuss and analyze. You're listening to Review and Preview here on The Wave, the sound of LIU. Good evening and welcome back to Review and Preview, folks. I'm your host, Tom Scavetta, joined alongside Kyle Russo, Fonz DeFalco. Fonz, great to have you here on the show tonight. It's an honor to be here, boys. Thank you for having me. <laughs> now, a reminder, Fonz hosts his own podcast, the Slickback Kickback Report, and you can hear that on Google Play. Yeah, iTunes. anywhere you get your podcast, Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, all that. We talk wrestling, sports, gaming. A fun, laid-back podcast every Wednesday and Saturday. And you uh, host that podcast with Albert Doner. Yes, right? a good friend, Albert Doner, a good friend of uh, the show. That is correct. And now at this time, we're going to get into uh, some real intense debate here with these NBA Finals. So it's what I've been waiting for all show. <laughs> uh, so Game 4. We left off last week at Game 4. I believe Game 4 was last Friday night. Clay returns. Van Vliet plays with the chipped tooth. Or he chipped his tooth in game four. Yes, That's he did, yeah. And then the Raptors, they win game four, end up winning both games at Oracle Fonz. They win the game 105-92. Now they're only one win away from their first ever NBA final. Yeah. Kawhi had 36-12. and 12. Talk about his impact in this game and the supporting cast, what I mean, they were able to do. I mean, not only in game four, but the whole series. I mean, Kawhi has just been – he's – probably one of the best players in the NBA and he you can tell when like when the Raptors even traded for him he made a big difference in the in the for the team and it really showed in games like this where he had 36 and 12 he could just take over the game at any moment really and Serge Ibaka off the bench poured in 20 this is the guy with championship level experience yeah I mean people forget he was one of those like one of the core people in that Thunder lineup with Harden, Durant, Westbrook defensive nightmare with the Thunder bounced around a little bit after that now it's become a nice a nice role player player for the Raptors yeah I'd say so now Kyle Russo you get some credit here because you picked Toronto to win this series I don't know if that was your original pick the start of the season I think you had no, start of the State season I had Toronto, Toronto State, but, but once this started emerging and 
We had a little feud over a few weeks. I was big on Milwaukee. Yeah. Probably the only person in the state of New York to own a Pat Connaughton jersey. Um, I saw you wear that last <laughs> week, and I was going to say something about that. I remember that. Uh, yeah, a lot of people think it's Giannis, but then, because, you know, 24, 24 kind of yeah, looks yeah, like 34 yeah. a little bit, yeah. and the last name is long, just like it. So then you, then you see the four and the long name. It's like, oh, God. Because it's not straight on the back of the jersey. It kind of yeah. starts on the left and ends on the right, as Kyle Russo would uh, notice and observe. But, how, did you, uh, how did you get that jersey? That, that's my question. Custom-made Thanksgiving sale, Black, Black Friday sale. Oh, look at that. Nice. Yeah. Had to uh, open the piggy bank a little bit. Uh, but, yeah, so this series was uh, a great series. Game four, of course, this game. Curry had 27. Clay had 28. But the supporting cast was not there. Uh, Draymond, he had near triple-double numbers, but he needs to score a little more, especially without Kevin Durant in that lineup. And that's always been the thing with Draymond Green. You, people wanted to score a little bit more, but, you know, I'm playing devil's advocate here, playing back and forth. He does a, a lot more than just score, too. I mean, you said he had nine rebounds and 12 assists in that game. So he does a little bit of everything. You just kind of wish that maybe he could score a little bit more there. Yeah. This translates to Game 5. The very much anticipated return of the star of the NBA, essentially, in Kevin Durant. This guy was a Seattle Supersonic in 2007. The franchise then became the Oklahoma City Thunder. He then left the Thunder to win two rings with Golden State, looking for a three-peat. Kevin Durant returns in Game 5, played nine minutes, had 11 points. Fantastic outing for... It was very really? short-lived, though. Well, I mean, before the injury, what impact? Like, it's always a what-if now. What if he would, did not get hurt? Yeah. Having that many points in that short amount of time, if he was healthy, uh, this series could have been completely different. Yeah, without a doubt. And when you look at this series, too, and especially in this game, in the 11 minutes he played, 11 points. He was 3 for 3. Unbelievable. You know he was going for 40. Yeah. If he didn't get hurt, he was going for 40. It was first he was 3 for 3 from 3. Yeah, he was yeah. his first game back in a while. He was looking to prove, like, I'm going to take this over and I'm going to show everybody, like, I'm like the guy. They need, like, they need me to win. Exactly. And then they ultimately did. Yeah. And then Durant tears his Achilles tendon. He's going to be out for all of next season. Yeah, Terrible really. for basketball. But my thing is, yeah, he got consoled by Drake and his teammates and the Raptors players. But let's analyze the Toronto reaction here for a second. Yeah. Um, you know, there were some fans that were doing the smart thing, but there were other fans that were just a little obnoxious. It's yeah. like Kyle Lowry and Danny Green had to step in, and Marcus Sol had to like calm people down. It was a little uh, obnoxious by some of those fans. No, it yeah. was it was terrible. It's like a, it's a sign of disgust. Yeah, uh, in in a sense, you're booing this guy because you know the longer he stays in, you don't stand the chance. Ultimately, yeah. I mean, but ultimately, no matter if you're facing him or not. You just have to respect his game and his greatness and the player that he is. And, and that was not shown by some of the Toronto fans in Game 5. Yeah. And there's arguments with people saying, oh, you know, I paid money. I can do whatever I want. But yeah. No, you don't, you don't do that. Yeah, there's a line here where you don't. Especially when a player gets hurt to the significance. Yeah, if, he's, if he was down for that much, yeah. for that long, you have to fans have to realize, like, oh, this is a lot. This lot's, is a serious This is not just, like, yeah. a little like thing here it's yeah. a serious thing well, so that people forget that these players are also humans that's exactly. that's another the thing Marcus that Cousins brought up that point he said they yeah. they see us as athletes and only athletes and not humans for what they are for what we are yeah but, I mean you got to remember something you know one day they won't be playing basketball anymore so appreciate them while they're on the court you mm-hmm. know 
which is something that everyone should keep in mind that everybody's it's not just these superstar athletes you know but it's very unfortunate but uh the way golden state was able to hang on and win this game by one point their championship dna is just ridiculously insane uh but later on in this game you know i've got to say something i don't know who's at fault if it's steve kerr if it's the warriors management who is at fault for this Durant injury? I mean, just the Warriors letting him back out, I guess? I don't you know. know. I, they, they knew they were taking a risk. They Well, they, that's the thing. They knew, and I'm, I'm sure Kevin Durant even knew that he was going to take a risk going out there. And he was really probably went over the slot in his head, like, do I go out there and help this team, or do I save myself for next year? And probably ultimately the doctors are like, listen, you can go out there, but this could potentially happen. I mean, did you guys see the Bob Myers interview after the – you watch the full video? Yeah, him crying. You need, you need to watch it, yeah. Yeah, I've watched it. Watch I've watched it. it. It's, in, in my true opinion, uh, and Bob Myers said it best emotionally, he said, you know, it's nobody's fault. If you're going to blame somebody, he takes the blame, which I, I full respect to Bob yeah. Myers for doing that. But, you know, Kevin Durant is a true competitor. And that ultimately, he right wanted there. to play basketball. You know, and, and the Warriors, you know, they want to win a championship. So if, if Kevin Durant is saying that he feels healthy – then they're going to let him play. Things would be completely different if he just chose, nah, you know what, I'm going to stay. I'm exactly. not going to go on. We, exactly. we would be having a different conversation now. Right, exactly. exactly. You would still be critiquing him, but for doing something different. Exactly. Which you took a risk, you swung on, you missed, but at least you went out there and gave it your all and did what you could. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, he's going to get the short end of the stick regardless of the situation. Also in this game, Kevon Looney re-aggravated his, uh, I think, his collarbone injury. Yep. He had a, like a collateral. Or yeah, something. something like that. Those are painful. Yeah. Which yeah. him diving for the offensive rebound. I don't know how smart that was. I mean, his whole shoulder was basically, and his whole upper. I don't know if his left shoulder or his right. Yeah. I think it was his left. But especially coming back, like coming back from that injury, it's like you think you would want to like, like not really just go crazy like that. But I mean, he. The love of the, just, it's the love of the game. Yeah, you know, it just you showed the listen. I need a, I'm a part of this team. I'm a huge part of like a role player. I need yep. to go out there and help this team win. It's a must-win game, yeah. If you look at this injury, it was very similar to the injury that Cantor had, except Cantor actually separated his shoulder yeah. for Portland. But uh, this Kevon Looney injury, I mean, he battled through it. He did what he could. And I think, if anything, Kevon Looney solidified himself a starting spot on next this year. team next year, Yeah, especially definitely. without Durant and Thompson. Yeah. And if Boogie doesn't come back, there's your starting center. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Uh, and then you got to give Toronto some credit, though, for hanging around in this game. Golden State came out strong. Boogie had a big 14 points in 19 minutes. Six Raptors were in double figures, though. Not just Kawhi, Siakam, and Lowry, your traditional guys, yeah. but Gasol, Ibaka again. And Fred Van Vliet, who yeah. just had ice in his veins the whole series. Yeah, it, it, it's a great story for Van Vliet going from undrafted, undersized, like four-string point guard coming in like two or three years ago and now was a consistent player for this team. Kind of worked his way up the ladder a little bit. Yeah, and you got to respect guys like that. Slowly yeah. but surely. Yeah. Fred Van Vliet was a guard for Wichita State. He only received two Division One scholarships. He was overlooked by a lot of colleges, similar to Ron Baker, who we all know who played for the Knicks. They yeah. played together at Wichita State, along with Clee Anthony Early, 
Evan Wessel, those guys, oh, they all that's a lot Evan of memories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a lot of memories. Um, that team, yeah. So they they made a Final Four run, um, but he was great. He also was playing with stitches. In his yeah, because right, he got elbow, he got elbow in the face, he got elbow in the face with a tooth. Yeah, yeah, he all over the place. He yeah. really wanted. He wanted. He just wanted that a, win. So just, just had a kid. Yeah. So I mean, <laughs> game six. The last ever game at Oracle Arena. Will the Warriors win? Will they go out on a good note? Or will there be a sour taste left in their mouth heading into next season? Well, Clay Thompson in this third quarter hurts his knee going up for a dunk. He went back to the locker room. Somebody told him, you got to come out and shoot the free throws or else you can't come back. You can't come back to the game. Little did we know, Clay Thompson pulled the Kobe Bryant and nailed two free throws on a torn ACL. <laughs> and he it's wanted incredible. to come back in too. Like even you told Carl, like I want to get back he into this game. He was doing his best to try to warm up in the locker room, and his dad was saying, "Like, did you hear it pop?" And Clay, he goes, "No." Clay said, "No" twice. Yeah. To think that this game was last night is crazy. This game felt like it was like a week ago. Yeah. To be honest with you, he was their leading scorer too, Thompson. Yeah, 30. for the Warriors, yeah, thirty. 30 points. It's a shame that it ended, ended like this that. way. Uh, it's definitely stinks. Cause Kevin Durant had surgery yesterday, too. Mm-hmm. Had successful surgery, so, I mean, that's good. But The road to recovery starts now for him. The road to recovery does start now, and it was announced this morning at 1.35 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time. <laughs> I remember it because I was on my phone getting the notification, and then I screenshotted it. Um that clay tore his ACL, which is a shame. Again, yeah. fans were devastated when they saw him go down. But the good note, the Raptors win their first ever NBA championship by a score of 114 to 110. They were up by one late. Curry throws up a three yeah. to try to take the lead. Rims out. Steph Curry all-time is 0 for 8 on three-pointers with under 20 seconds left. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's the greatest shooter of all time, and he's not, you know, necessarily a clutch player. Yeah, know? I saw that last night, and I was like, really? I did not know that stat. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and even if you look in the series, I mean, if Clay, if Clay Thompson is healthy, I mean, uh, to be honest with you, they win that game last night, and they might win a game seven, too. The and Clay Thompson is the MVP. Oh, yeah, totally. Clay Thompson's the I MVP had Clay Thompson as the MVP of the finals on the Warriors in seven. And then if it's not Clay Thompson, it's Draymond Green for the defense and consistent triple doubles. Yeah, because he had, I mean, he had 19 rebounds and 13 assists in Game yes. Six. Yeah, yeah. But like Steph said. Curry, he's been he underperformed in the series. To be honest with you, he shot the three ball horribly last night, Game Five, Game Four. I mean, even even when he dropped 47 points, it still wasn't enough for them to win. Yeah. And I, I know you can't realistically ask much more from him because he was playing without Kevin Durant. He was playing with an injured Boogie Cousins. He was playing with no Clay Thompson. Right. I mean, what more could you ask for? But he he didn't show up in the series, and that's realistically why he hasn't won a Finals MVP. You know, you'd think five Finals MVP, he would at least win one of them. And he the hasn't. problem, too, is, you know, once Thompson left the game, you're left to rotate it between Sean Livingston and Quinn Cook off the bench, offense-defense substitution. But the Warriors had no business in that game six, to be honest. They were still competing. They held the lead for most of it. But Kawhi, Siakam, Larry, it eventually became a little bit too much. Yeah. Marcus Gasol crashing the boards on the offensive glass. The championship DNA can only get you so far until 
you know, Toronto took over the healthier team, of yeah. course. Uh, let's not – I mean, let's not – Let's not overlook what the Raptors did even since last year, right. like making the big gamble trading for Kawhi. I mean, we all were like, why would they trade him for a year? He's going to go. He's going to leave. Nothing's going to happen. They hired Nick Nurse. Who was this guy? Rookie head coach. Yeah, we don't know who he is. You know, it, and now look now look at this. And he, the Raptors made moves midseason. Marcus yeah, Gasol. Why would you trade for Marcus Gasol? He's an aging veteran center that's not going to help out. Serge Ibaka is a little bit older, and you could say washed up at – now look at him. Yeah. Fred, Fred Van Vliet, another guy, too. Smaller guard that we're not sure what he can do. And it's like a bunch of misfits that come together, and I, I, I hate to call them that, but I still think Marcus Gasol is a quality center. I think he needs oh, yeah, to get no, on a better no, team. No question, but at the time when they're trading, they're like, they, what are they going to do? How is this going to work? And like Pascal Seacom, when he yeah, got drafted, yeah. mm-hmm. he was they gave him a D grade when he got drafted. Yeah, Like he's not going to. He's like, oh, I don't know who he is. If anything, he'll be like out of the league in a couple of years. Yep, twenty six points, ten rebounds. All these Game guys, seven. they don't have one lottery pick either, undrafted. Yeah, I saw or that too. Above the fifteenth overall pick, and the fifteen was Kawhi Leonard. Well, let's not forget about Danny Green, who was part of that Kawhi Leonard deal, and no, nobody's really. I don't know if he was part of. Was he actually part of that deal? Yeah, he, he was. was. Part of yeah, that and that's another guy too. That right down the road from North Babylon. Yeah, <laughs> literally. Uh, uh, fun fact about Danny Green. He played with Shaq in Cleveland the 20, uh, yeah. 2009-2010 season. 36 straight years, there's been a player that has played with Shaq in the NBA Finals. Now, how long can this streak go for? I don't that's, know. <laughs> that is a, it's, it's getting up there now. But that's another guy, Danny Green, that we're like, oh, he's not going to contribute to this team. And it, He did. You said it's game a, three, 18 points. It looked like Danny Green against the 2014 NBA finals. finals right there. You, you said know. it perfectly. Uh, it's a, I mean, hate to say it, but it's a – Cast of misfits. But he was actually hurt in game six. He did not play that much, only 17 minutes. He didn't score, but, I mean, he's still a big part of the team. Well, the, the first series. five games, yeah, he definitely First five it. games, he was great. And Kawhi Leonard hit the free throws to make it a four-point game. Kawhi Leonard wins the MVP of his finals. 20 points a game. points in game six. Average 28 points a game in the series, yes. Yeah. Lowry was great, 26 points, 10 assists. Ibaka, 15 points in Game 6. Van Vliet had 22 off the bench, 13 of them in the fourth quarter. I tell you, this Van Vliet kid, man, 5 of 11 from 3. He was hitting these shots all playoffs that just senseless, Ridiculous. emotionless. Like, <laughs> like where did this guy come from? Yeah. yeah. A real shocker, living up to his all, all, <laughs> alma mater. No pun intended. But, look, it just stinks because Clay, Clay Thompson was on track to be the star of this game. He had oh, 30 yeah, points no, in the third quarter. There's no question. Yeah. He, he couldn't miss. And remember, the Warriors were down by six in game five where him and Curry hit a couple of threes to put him up by three Yeah, or tie the game. And they didn't have that, which, you know, it's a little ashamed that the Warriors can only do so much. Draymond Green poured down 19 rebounds in this game, 19 <laughs> rebounds, 11 points. 19 rebounds, 13 assists, a triple double, but it wasn't a, it wasn't good enough. Andre Iguodala had 22 points. He steps up in clutch moments. Sometimes oh, he yeah. just won't score, but in clutch moments he's nowhere. fantastic. <laughs> he is awesome. I mean, he had more points than Steph Curry in this game. He dropped he did. 22. He did. Yeah, Steph Curry struggled. 6 of 17 from the field, not great. But uh, Kawhi Leonard, MVP. For the second time in the NBA Finals, 
This is the second time he has broken a three-peat opportunity. He did it in 2014 against Miami when the Spurs beat the Heat. Yeah. Stopped LeBron from doing it. Kawhi won the MVP at 22 years of age. I think he's the youngest ever to do that, yes. too. I it's believe crazy. so, the finals MVP. Five years later, does it just a few miles up north from San Antonio <laughs> <laughs> in Canada. Breaking it again for the Warriors. Kawhi Leonard, as Fonzie were starting to lead into, his final stats, 28.5 points a game, yeah. just under 10 boards a game, 45% from the field, 40 from deep, 40% from three-point territory. And Toronto was 4-0 and at Oracle this year. That's impressive. That includes uh, the Especially one game. With, when you play over there, it's loud, it's crazy, yeah. one of the toughest places to play. Yeah. That is crazy. And, of course, another fun fact, Pat McCaw, for, <laughs> former Warrior, on the on the Raptors' final winning team. First player to win three titles straight since 2000 to 2002. Crazy stuff. Jo- right hey, there. joins That's elite nuts. company there with Shaq, Kobe, Jordan. Yeah. It's a good company right there. It is. And then my last question, is the Drake curse over? My last question on Toronto, I should say. Yeah, you was know what? the Drake curse even a thing? I didn't know it was a thing until, until yesterday when they're like when they were like, Oh, Drake Curse over. I'm like, that was a thing? And then I started thinking like, yeah, it kind of is a thing, maybe. But was it like is it his is it his fault? I don't think so. I listen, they won. <laughs> it's a walking meme, man. Yeah, the Raptors won, his team won, or whatever yeah. team he roots for now. I don't know. Maybe maybe next year he roots for some other team, but yeah. they won. We'll just say the curse is broken. Listen, I'm going to say it straight up. I love Drake, but you cannot. He has Kevin Durant's number and Steph Curry's number tattooed. See, on I don't. I don't. Yeah. That's and you can't. Come on. I don't know if I, how I feel about that. Getting come on. tattoos like that, but yeah. we'll not have that. The, the tattoo talk. <laughs> Last question on Golden State: Does this game tarnish their legacy at all? I wouldn't use a word as hard as tarnish. Yeah, I wouldn't. Because look what it ultimately took for this team to go down. They had to lose not one, but two. One of them first, Kevin Durant, one of the greatest players ever. And Clay Thompson, arguably the greatest shooter ever. And, and yet Toronto only won by four points in this game. And Boogie at like 80%. Maybe. And Boogie at like 80%. And, and when you talk about, is this team going to come back next year? And realistically, I think there's a good potential chance that they might all come back. Boogie Cousins, Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson. Especially after the fact that they're on a mission. They're on a mission to come back. Because they know that they ultimately, and I believe so, that they probably would have won the championship if they were all healthy. When healthy, they're the best in the business. Undef- they're unbeatable. These guys are great. Yeah. You can't take away with what they did. And you This can't. past couple of years, too. Yeah. But the thing is, this finals, I feel like, will be more remembered by the Warriors going down than the Raptors getting to the top. And that's what's a little unfortunate because I think Nurse, Drake, and the Raptors, they wanted to beat the Warriors at their best, not down like this. Because I think if the Warriors weren't down, they would have found a way to come back in this series if Durant and Thompson both stayed healthy. Yeah, Even maybe just Thompson. and not, I still think the Warriors convincingly could have won it in seven with, with Thompson and without That's Durant. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, he had 30 points. Clay Thompson, game six, he had 30 points in the third quarter, and yeah. then he went down with like two minutes left towards ACL. I mean, if he plays that fourth quarter, it might be a whole nother ball game. For sure. Um, yeah, this is this is going to be a weird year. Let's take a point to fathom the fact, though, that Jeremy Lin has an NBA ring. Lin Sanity. Congratulations. Never forget it. Lin officially has more rings than Carmelo Anthony, Chris Paul, Charles Barkley. Good for him. 
Yes. Very good for him. On that note, we're going to step aside for another quick break, and when we come back, we will talk some NBA news and preview the NBA draft. You're listening to Review and Preview here on liuwave.org. Rockefeller Records. The Imperial Skateboard. Good evening, and welcome back to Review and Preview, folks. Whoa. I didn't know. We are broadcasting here on liuwave.org. I'm your host, Tom Scavetta. Joined alongside Fonz DeFalco and Kyle Russo here tonight. Fonz is our guest here in the studio. 20 minutes to go on the show. The NBA draft is Thursday night, June 20th. We pretty much know where the top three are going. Well, we think. Pretty much confirmed Zion will be a New Orleans Pelican yep. on Thursday night. But has there been... Uh, serious talks between John Morant and the Memphis Grizzlies? Do they yeah, have him pretty much I locked up? I think that's pretty much locked up, considering all the trade talk around Mike Connolly being their starting point guard and John Morant obviously being a point guard. The future. So, yeah. So I think that's pretty much locked up, too. But it gets interesting around the Knicks. It gets interesting. Now, RJ has stated he only wants to be in New York. Will the Knicks take him? I think he only worked out for New York, too. Yeah, he only worked out for New York. He only did. But, I mean, the, the pretty Knicks, much set in stone. I I think it will be set. Well, it is set in stone. Well, I don't know what the right word is for that, but you know the first two are guaranteed, and I think you can make right. the case that the third one is guaranteed. Because remember, R.J. Barrett coming into Duke was the top player, the top yeah. freshman coming in way before Zion. Mm-hmm. So obviously he has the talent, and if he really wants to stay, wants to play in New York and whatever, why not bring in a guy like that that just wants to play at Madison Square Garden? Yeah. Yep. No, no, you're 100 percent right. Fonz, but my point is, you know, all these talks around Anthony Davis potentially, you know, and especially from a Pelican standpoint, you know, you could get Zion and RJ on the same team, and you know that they play beautifully together from what you saw at that one year at Duke. Yeah. So that could be intriguing on top of the fact that the Knicks finally get a superstar on their team who is willing to stay and sign long term. Anthony Davis has said, LA Lakers. And the New York Knicks, he would sign long-term. If that's the case, then, I mean, I wouldn't mind trading that for Anthony Davis. But then, I mean, you can only – you've seen what, like we saw with the Warriors and Raptors. You need more than one star well, player to win yes. a championship. So the question would be, what happens after? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And realistically now, looking at this, the Lakers, the Knicks, the Celtics also engaged with trade talks with the Pelicans for Anthony Davis. Are the Pelicans playoff material after most likely dealing him and drafting Zion? I think so. In the West? I think it's bottom. But it'll be hard. It'll be. I think it'll be. I don't know. I mean, because realistically, think like this. If you get, let's say you get a pick from the Lakers and players from the Lakers, you're still probably going to keep Drew Holiday. You might still have Julius Randle. You're going to have Zion. You're going to have whoever you draft at number four, probably DeAndre Hunter from Virginia, who's fantastic, or maybe even a Darius fan. Uh, Darius Garland from Vanderbilt. I mean, the team is obviously really young. But again, the West, this free agency could be so crazy that the Pelicans could squeeze in at that eight seed. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. way too early. With the, we probably should wait till the free agency goes yeah, around or yeah. whatever. But, I mean, if we're sticking with the teams they are right now, it probably would be hard for them. They would squeak by an eight, seven, eight seed. You know, that, that, that's just what I think. Yeah, I'm gonna be honest. Like I, I'm, I'm looking at these standings next year, and you look at the Western Conference. I, I think Portland, Houston, and Denver are gonna be the top three, followed by Golden State, and then you still got Utah, 
and the Spurs and the Clippers who have been great. Yeah. And then the Lakers maybe sneak back into the playoffs. And then you have teams like, you the know. Thunder. Yeah, you have teams like the Kings. I mean, they Dallas. Yeah, you know, uh, Dallas, KP, Doncic. If the Suns get a quality point guard, I'm not saying they're going to make a deep run in the playoffs, but they could maybe a late playoff like berth in the towards the end of the season. It, it's really hard to tell because the West is so unpredictable every year. And the Warriors, with how good the West is, you don't know where they may end up next year. I mean, you still have Curry, but we'll see uh, what they're going to do with these injuries that they're dealing with. Uh, so now, realistically, there have been moves that have been made around. In the Lakers, we spoke about possible DeAndre Hunter or Darius Garland type of pick. I think Hunter's a good move because you need a wing, you need a shooter. Mm-hmm. And you look at all these players for the Lakers that are unrestricted free agency. I mean, you got Rajon Rondo. Lance Stevenson, Alex Caruso. Not that these guys are like big name guys, but you look at the history of who the Lakers have drafted over the past couple of years. Their last two draft picks last year were on Mo Wagner and Zvi Mikhailuk. I give you props for pronouncing that. Yeah, last no, I'm <laughs> amazed by that. Yeah. <laughs> no, but Tom, like you said, they they have not been successful drafting their own players, and it, and it all really realistically started when Magic Johnson decided to draft Lonzo Ball. You know. You go back to that draft, and you now obviously look at it, and you say, you know, you drafted a point guard, De'Aaron Fox, two picks later. Look how he's, look how he's one of the better out players in out of that class. Yeah, I think it might be Jared Culver at number four. I think you got to start considering him out of Texas. Oh Tech. yeah, potentially. Yeah, I think it's going to go to either Hunter or Culver. I think Garland falls off them. I know he went to Vanderbilt, but I don't think the Lakers are looking for a point guard with Lonzo. So yeah, you can also throw in Kobe White in there too from UNC. Yeah, yeah no, so I mean if, that hair, man. Yeah, no, he's. Little March Simpson, nah, he's not got a flat top. But did I just call? Yeah. Wow, I did. Uh-huh. I called Kobe White March Simpson. Yep. Ugh. But uh, realistically, I mean, they could potentially pick anybody. And I, to be honest with you, I mean, it seems like almost a lock. You know, with days approaching the draft, I mm-hmm. mean, I, the Lakers could really get a deal done with this Pelicans team. To be yeah. honest with you, so I don't even know if that's going to be their pick. It you should got, be an interesting draft night too. And you got yeah. Cleveland sitting at number five, which the NBA draft is so intense. To be honest, like. After the first two. Because you know the first two. You kind of know where you're going. You know the first two, and I would hope the Knicks do what they're expected to do with three. Oh, dude, I don't want to give them too much credit yet. Look, you're making a mistake if you don't take him at number three, I think, realistically. Even if it's for a guy like Anthony Davis? You think it's a mistake? I mean. Yes. Just saying. I mean, I agree on the standpoint that you're putting all your eggs in one basket for a guy who, yes, when he's on the court, phenomenal. But, you know, when is he on the court, you know, for a full 82-game yeah, season? He might be the best two-way player in the draft. I think it's too easy to pass up. I think for sure you know he's going to be a star in this league. It's bad yeah. to speculate right now. But think about it realistically speaking. He's probably going to be a star. I mean, you hope. Yeah. But I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. I mean, draft though, night. Those without the. I hope you guys watch it. Yeah. Facebook Live. Uh, yeah. No. We'll see what happens, and then of course, transactions happening in the NBA. Tony Parker retires after 18 seasons. Love using him all those years in 2K. Yeah. Great point guard for San Antonio. He'll be missed in this league for sure. Multiple-time All Star, Finals MVP, uh, four championships, right? Believe I believe four, so, four, yeah. th- three or four, four. Yes, I believe it's four. One of the best point guards 
Jordan's generation. Everybody on that Spurs team, underrated. Yeah, and that's and now I think it's the end of because Duncan's gone, Ginobili's gone, and it, Parker's gone. We were talking about Kawhi ending two dynasties. He realistically ended three. You know, if you he, he ended actually three dynasties. not, yeah, he can't. Yeah, you can't say three that. dynasties. I mean, you did. I mean, if if Kawhi stays, I mean, does Tony Parker stay with the Spurs for another season to give it one more go? Well, I here's mean, here's the problem. Tony Parker started playing at the age of 19. I understand 36. He had miles on him. He's been yeah, playing that's the since thing 2001. Too. Yeah, starting at 19, he playing. He played all 82. Well, probably a majority of 82 games during the yeah pretty his much. Career. And these last two years, he only played like 55, 56 games. Those were the least amount of games he played in any year, any years of his career. So yeah, the miles get to you. They do. What's crazy is I think he was only a one-time All Star. Was it really a one-time I All-Star? I think he was only a one-time All-Star. Wow. I thought it was multiple. I, I, I'm, I'm, I might be wrong on that. I may be wrong. Don't quote me, but I'm, I think it might be one time. Six mm-hmm. time. I was way off. <laughs> yeah, I was way off. Six-time NBA All-Star, four-time NBA champion. Four, and the okay, finals okay. MVP in 2007 out When of they France. swept the Cavs, yeah. Even though he was originally born in Belgium, but French-American former professional basketball player. There's rumors that Sean Livingston is on the verge of retiring yeah. as well. From the Warriors, so that's another mm-hmm. blow to them. I mean, that's a loss you, of depth. G- give him, give that guy credit. I remember at a, I remember at a high school here, and then he was supposed to be like the next best point guard, and then had that horrible injury. I don't yeah. know if you guys ever saw it when he was on the Clippers, like his yeah, leg, like the, yeah, oh, that was. And then to come back many years later through the like the D League and overseas and playing restricted minutes on other teams, and to come back with the Nets, play a full season, then go to the Warriors and be a a contributor for that. Dynasty. Yep. I mean, I give that guy all the credit in the world for. On top of the fact that he could have made more money, but he decided to come back with the Warriors exactly. to, to continue on the dynasty, which did wind up happening. They did get another championship. One of the what ifs line. if he never hurt his leg. Yeah, he could have been. A, he was like a number four of all. Yeah, players. he was. He was the top high school player and was. And it was a top ten pick, I think, in that that I think draft. Number four. Yeah, that I was right four. with that one. I was right with fourth that one. overall. Yeah, man. And a lot of people forget that. What really helped him get back on track was not just the development and the G League, whatever it was, but his time with Brooklyn. That's what I'm saying. That one season with Brooklyn that really helped him out. That really that was. And then he was, he made a lot of sacrifices with Golden State, not just him, but Andre Iguodala, a guy who could still play at a high level. He can score when needed. It's just people don't see him as a scorer because he's such a good defender and he's not a good three point shooter. Mm-hmm. Other than that. He can still score. He can play in this league. He's probably going to stay at Golden State. Oh, he will. But because he uh, he's in much better shape than Livingston is. Yeah, Livingston's yeah. not in that good of shape. Even though he's a very big point guard, uh, his legs—you got to start worrying about that. Which, you know, that'll be unfortunate if they lose him as well. But they do have a young warrior in Quinn Cook to back up Curry. Uh, the Grizzlies hire Bucks assistant Taylor Jenkins. As their next head coach, this was a guy who was an assistant for Mike Budenholzer last year in Milwaukee, and he also served as an assistant under Budenholzer for five years in Atlanta. So you know, you I mean, Atlanta had success. You know that that that, that Atlanta team when you had Al Horford, Kyle Korver, Demar Carroll, those four all star, four all stars that you know that you know are kind of like no names, but. They won 60 games or something that one year, and they developed him nicely. And then he did the same thing Boonholzer did with the Bucks too. Yeah. And he's been following him around, so obviously he knows how to build a team kind of from the, the ground up. Damari Carroll is on that team. Yeah. 
-hmm. Now, other moves, of course, the Cavaliers adding assistant Lindsey Gottlieb, uh, the first women's NCAA head coach added to the NBA staff, a four-year deal for this woman assistant, joining uh, Becky Hammond from the Spurs. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be completely honest with you. When Pop retires, his top assistant is Becky Becky Hammond. Hammond. Yeah. Yeah. She's going to be the head coach of this. She's going to be the first female NBA head coach. Definitely. I could definitely see that, too. I could also see Pop trying to coach for another 20 years. That's what we have. But, yeah, no, that's uh, Greg Popovich has had a last rough, rough year uh, with his wife. His wife died. You know, the whole Kawhi Leonard debacle. Yeah. We broadcast this show here in New York on the LIU Post campus, and the New York Knicks are, you know, a very respected team in the state of New York. Now the question is, do they go out and get one of these respected free agents where they could sign two max free agents? But the question is, with Durant hurt now, with Thompson hurt, their value's pretty much gone down for this next season. They're not going to play. Who is left? Who who are the Knicks going to go after? Because right now, Kyrie, this whole rumor with him in Brooklyn... He's pretty much confirmed going to Brooklyn. This is this is amazing. Who are the Knicks going to get? I'm going to be completely honest with you. They're not getting anybody. They're going to get Tobias. No, no, they're but, not. No, they're, they're gonna not. Be he's stuck going in a hole. They're going to get R.J. Barrett. We hope. And they're, they're not. They're stuck. All that I could see as they're we're talking trapped. about this in my mind right now is that photo from Bleacher Report a couple months back where they have Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Zion oh, Williamson wearing a Knicks jersey. That was. Why'd and then once you go, and once the Knicks didn't get the number one pick, Zion gets yeah. off the list. But KD and Kyrie, meet oh, up good in New chance. York. <laughs> and then KD gets hurt. So I'm, and now Kyrie's like, oh, I want to go to Brooklyn instead of the Garden. It's just, I mean, it, realistically, I don't know. I mean, the Knicks they need some type of star, but realistically, who are they going to get? You know, Kemba was a rumor, but he's willing to take less money with yeah. Charlotte. You know, Kyrie's going to, pretty much going to Brooklyn now. Yeah, pretty much guaranteed. Durant, I don't see there's any way that he's leaving Golden State, to be honest with you. They role players on the Knicks. I'm looking at the top frames now just quickly. I mean, we said Durant, Kawhi Leonard, but Kawhi probably will stay in Toronto. That top four is probably staying. You know, Kawhi Leonard probably staying. Klay yeah. Thompson staying. Ball Kyrie, Durant. Walker, Clay, Porzingis. Is, he's going to – I don't know what's up he's with gonna that. He's going to be Maverick. I think yeah. Butler – Jimmy Butler's the first name I think of, and it's like, oh, that yeah. probably and would. And he's probably going to opt out, and apparently he's in talks with Miami. I think he did opt. He yeah. did opt out. <laughs> he's at, he's I'm, at. I'm a big. I'm a big. Yes, I'm a big Heath fan. And after that, Nikola Vucevic from the Magic, T- Tobias Harris, Chris Middleton. I mean, they, maybe D'Angelo Russell Call from the crazy. Brooklyn Nets. Well, maybe, maybe, I maybe. I, he I did think, pretty good for the Nets last year. But he's a head case. And Ru- I don't, I don't, Russell and Didwitty coexisted in the backcourt for Brooklyn. I think him and Irving might be able to coexist in Brooklyn's backcourt. No, it definitely, it definitely would. Potentially, because they have a system where their backcourt is just two guards. It's not really a point guard and a shooting guard. Mm-hmm. They just play the two best guards on their roster, which are Dinwiddie and... Uh, Russell, yeah. yeah. So it'll be interesting what happens now. My thing: you look at free agency and what's coming up. We spoke about Jimmy Butler. Realistically, the Knicks seem to be trapped again. We're just getting back to this point, oh, and, and you man. fathom around it. There, there's really I don't see anybody coming here. Uh, what are they going to do? Nothing. 
Uh, and to be they honest, have all this money. They, they don't have all this money. They trade away Porzingis. I know now everybody. They, now, they look, now they look really dumb. Oh, I'm going to be completely honest. We saw Cantor coming. Porzingis. They traded away. Hardaway, Lee, and Burke were part of that trade, which those three I feel like were expendable, unfortunately, to the organization. But um, the biggest mistake for the Knicks was getting rid of four players. Last year, Willie Hernan Gomez, that you traded for nothing, and you spent all that money on the Joakim Noah contract. And Willie Hernan Gomez was very good for them, I remember. Was a second round draft pick Mm -hmm. that made the all NBA rookie team. Good luck finding a second round draft pick that will make the all first NBA team ever again. And for some reason, I forget who was the coach. You traded for nothing. You waived Johnny O'Brien, who was part of that trade. I forget who was the um, the coach at that time, but remember there was a Hornacek at the time, for some reason. He would refuse to give Willie Hernan Gomez any minutes. Even if the game was over by 30 yeah. points, he wouldn't give him any minutes. Well, look, it wasn't Cantor that was the problem. You went and signed a legitimate backup center in Kyle O'Quinn, who deserved those minutes. He was great for the Knicks last year. He was very good, yeah. Year, but the Joakim Noah contract was horrendous. Derrick Rose, one year, $25 million. But you still got to yeah. find a way to mix Hernan Gomez in that rotation. I really don't care. You got to find a way. Derek Williams, too. Another Knicks player they signed that year, too. The former number two pick. Should you have not signed O'Quinn, maybe? I don't know. Derek Williams, yeah. <laughs> Doug McDermott, who they traded away. I don't I don't oh know if I God. agreed with that either. He oh, was, geez, the Doug. Knicks lack three-point shooting right now. You traded McDermott. Michael Beasley, who you could have re-signed for cheap, you let him he walk. He was really good, too. He, he was, was the leading the, scorer I after Porzingis got hurt. He was their leading scorer. Realistically, and I don't, I don't want to sound mean or anything no. but like uh, to be honest I mean you look at all these superstars I mean th- the highlight of the Knicks offseason to be honest with you might be re-signing DeAndre Jordan to be honest with you yeah <laughs> I mean I, 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 I'm I, I'm not being I'm not being like you know a little pompous trying to be like funny and anything I mean, no I mean realistically I mean because these I mean I'm just uh, I don't know according to CBS Sports he is the 19th best free agent available so hey that's a good I mean I did kind of like DeAndre Jordan. I mean, he wasn't horrible. Double double no, machine. But the problem is, your best player, real, your best young That's, player on no. the Knicks right now is Mitchell Robinson, who's a yeah. center. That's also yeah. That, and I'm a real fan of Mitch Robinson. Him no, and Dennis Smith Jr. That's he's a nice. Good. That's a nice little stu- tandem for now, yeah. for sure. But my thing is, you still got Frank Nittalakina on that team, and who just they, has not developed at all. He hasn't been able to develop so far, and he was kind of put in an un- unfair situation. Look at all the guards they've had in the backcourt the last couple of years. Jarrett Jack, Trey Burke, uh, this year, Moutier, Dennis Smith Jr. in Damian that trade. Dotson. D- the main dot, yeah. So, and Ron Baker, who, I mean, they gave a two-year, $9 million contract to, and he was expendable for Alonzo Trier. Like, why would you sign him wasting all- That's another player. That was the fourth guy that I had on my list they shouldn't have gotten rid of. Yeah. They should have gave him more minutes because he's a hard-nosed guy. Him, McDermott, Beasley, and Hernan Gomez. Those four, I think, should still be on the team because those were, you know, four of their six top bench players last year with the exclusion of O'Quinn and Frank. That was the bench, and it was a good bench. You still have that with the emergence of Knox, uh, Mitchell Robinson. Yeah. Well, Mitch, Mitch, if if they let Jordan walk, Mitch probably starts. Yeah. Uh, our last news of the evening, we'll go NFL for a second. The Titans announced they will retire Steve McNair's number nine jersey, rightfully so. He led the Titans to their only Super Bowl appearance, and they missed the Super Bowl by one yard. 
don't know if you guys remember that tackle, but no. I remember seeing it. Yeah. I know you're a Ravens fan. I know McNair used to play for the Ravens yeah, for be- a little bit as well. Best Ravens quarterback before Joe Flacco, I will say. Yes. Yeah, two, it was only two years, but it was, it was a fun two years. won a Super Bowl. <laughs> no, for won a Super Bowl. Fonz, uh, your team's the only reason why the Giants are not undefeated in Super Bowls. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the 34-7 yep. win back in 2000. The only touchdown we had that game was on special teams. It was a punt return. Ron Touchdown, Dixon. yeah. I, I think it was a kick return, actually. One yeah, of the it was, return yeah. man touchdown. And then the Ravens returned it right back on that following kickoff. So, But, yeah, Fonz, we'd like to thank you for coming on our show tonight. We really appreciate it. You were great. Yeah, thank yeah. you guys so much. First time ever being on a live show. I really enjoyed it. I'm excited to be back on again in the future. Exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Kyle Russo, as always, we say goodbye to you for a while as you will be making your excursion down to Florida. Yeah, and times. also, happy birthday, by the way. Thanks, man. Oh, happy appreciate birthday. It. Yeah, birthday was this past Wednesday. Very enjoyable. 19 years old. Crazy. Wow. Facebook Live, we'd like to thank all you guys for tuning in tonight here on liuwave.org. We look forward. We will not be on air next week. We will be back on Friday, June 28th. But until then, on behalf of Kyle Russo and Fonz DeFalco, I'm Tom Scavetta wishing you a good evening. You've been listening to Review and Preview here on liuwave.org. Good night, everyone.